0: Erica, for the reading of God's word, that will be our text this morning. Ephesians chapter five, we'll start in verse twenty-two and go through six-three. And uh, as you know, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've had a kind of a sermon within a sermon, a sermon series within a sermon series. And uh, we've been focusing specifically on what uh, a godly wife, a godly husband, a godly child looks like. And this morning, we get to come together and look to see what that looks like practically. Before we get into our sermon. This morning, though, I want to let you know that we are having a staff transition, uh, and one of our staff members is taking on a new role in a, in a, at a new workplace. And we just wanted to let you know, uh, that Amy will be transitioning, uh, to a new role in, in our community. And so we are sad, but we are excited at the same time for what Amy has done here and the opportunity God is giving her. And, and Amy really took, uh, this, job last year when we just kind of initiated it, and she's helped us mold it. She's helped us figure out what it is, and you've done an excellent job, Amy, on behalf of the staff and the church. I just want to tell you thank you, and as you see her, I would ask that you would encourage her as she takes this new step into a new ministry opportunity in the world, and so uh, again, uh, if you are interested or know of someone who's interested, if you want to look on our website and click the resource tab and employment, uh, we have lifted, listed the job description there. And so we would love for you to be a part of helping us find. Uh, we will never replace Amy, but someone who will step in to fill that role and help us move forward as a church. And so, again, uh, Amy, thank you so much. And we, uh, the great thing is Amy and Mark and Liam, they're staying right here at Fellowship Bible. And so uh, we'll get to see them, and they'll volunteer. And have a wonderful time, but uh, she will be transitioning off of staff. So, with that being said, let's get into our scripture this morning. And we just had that read by Erica, and uh, it kind of sets up where we're at. So over the past few weeks, as I've said, we've taken a deep dive into how God's word describes the roles of who? The godly wife, the godly child, and the godly husband. And Pastor Grant uh led us through those. And I want to thank Grant and the elders for allowing myself uh, to to kind of wrap this up. And so I'm always appreciative to fill the pulpit. My name is George Olmsted. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And so uh, Pastor Grant will be back in the pulpit next week. And so I just want to our guests to know kind of who I am and what we're doing with that. We've taken Ephesians 5, 22 uh, through 6, 3, and we've dissected it so that we may be knowledgeable, but more importantly, challenged to carry out the call in these roles in which we live. So this morning, we take those three roles, we place them together, and we speak to what it takes for a family to be a godly And thriving family for Christ. You're going to hear those words, thriving godly family, over and over again this morning. We want that to become who we are in our marriages and in our families. As we know, our culture is not for the family. As a matter of fact, our culture is doing everything it can to dismantle the biblical family. The Bible defines marriage as a covenant relationship between one male and one female who leave and cleave for the entirety of their earthly lives. The Bible defines the responsibilities and roles within that marriage relationship as Christ-centered and complementary, with the husband as the shepherd and the leader and the wife as the helper and the supporter. The husband and his leadership is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, which we know Christ gave his life for the church. The Bible continues to define the family as husbands and wives are told to be fruitful and multiply, bringing children into this world. Now, our culture, unfortunately, is attempting to redefine every aspect of the biblical family and how God intended for it to be. As a matter of fact, they are attempting to redefine God-given identification of male and female. They are attacking marriage between man and woman only and now demanding for anyone to be able to be married no matter the sex, no matter the age, or the number of people involved. Our culture is attacking the birth of children, calling for abortion. They are attacking the parents' right to parent the children and demanding the education system have greater authority than the parents. Now, we can go on and on and we see how the culture is attacking, but the truth is biblical marriage and biblical family is being attacked greater and greater each day. So with this being said, we can rest assured in one thing that the Lord is in control. He is sovereign, and so he knows exactly what is taking place. He has a plan, he has a will, and it will be accomplished. His ways are greater than ours. His word is faithful. It's true. It's inerrant. It's infallible. So listen, as believers, it is our responsibility to do what? To look to his word for direction, for truth, for wisdom, and understanding how we can truly carry out the call to be thriving, godly families. <clears throat> now, I think it's wise this morning for us to stick to the passage that we've been studying for the past three weeks. Why? Because it helps us understand the, the characteristics of this thriving, godly family. And so here's what we're going to do throughout the sermon this morning. We're going to look uh, to our passage in Ephesians 5 and 6. We're going to look at some uh, supporting scriptures and then we're going to glean some practical advice from a couple who has this past year celebrated 50 years of marriage and who has strived to live out a thriving godly marriage and in turn strived to do the same thing with their family. I want you to know, I am not the expert on this subject. I have two, two teenage boys, enough said. I've got a five-year-old daughter, enough said. I have a wife who is a godly, loving, independent, strong, driven wife. And I'm thankful not enough said. See, I'm not stupid. But even last night, my wife and I were able to get away for about 36 hours this week. It was so good. Just her and I enjoying some time together. But as soon as we walked in the door, God knew what, I said God knows, but Satan knew exactly what was going to be taking place this morning. Hey, George, get up there and preach on the family. And we had to have some discussions with some kids and some arguments and had to get some things back in order. And I woke up this morning, and it was kind of the same thing. So I want you to know you're not hearing from an expert. You're hearing from somebody who loves Jesus, who wants to take God's word, apply it to my family the best I can, and course correct as things are uh, become known to me on how to be a better husband and a better father. So I hope that you join with me in this learning as we go through what God is going to tell us this morning, all right? So here's what we know this. Our text from Ephesians, as we read it earlier, allows us to look at our first characteristic of a thriving godly family. A thriving godly family will be a family of faith. When we look at Ephesians 5, and 6, 3, we see that Jesus Christ is at the center of every role presented. The role of the wife is to be subject to the husband as to the Lord. Her worship to the Lord is to Jesus, and that's what allows her to carry out her role with confidence and truth. The role of the husband is centered in Christ. As we are commanded and called to love our wife as Christ loved the church. It's our worship of Jesus that allows us to hope to carry out this call. I said earlier, my wife and I, we are a great team. We work well together. We were on, uh, we went to a hotel this weekend and I'd love to pay cash at hotels. Well, apparently that's becoming a, uh, that's not allowed in this hotel. So I got very flustered and I was like, I don't want to use anything else. I want to use, and Sarah just gently reminded me and said, honey, there's, there's multiple ways around this. We don't have to get upset. So she had to walk me through the process of how we were going to pay, and it would be just like cash. So not only um, is she a great wife, she's a very great help in the midst of my struggles of impatience or non-patience. And so just so you know, again, we're working together as a team. That's a silly example, but it's a true example of how we help one another stay in line, help have a better testimony for Christ instead of, griping at the lady who wouldn't take my cash, all right? So, we see that there's worship in Jesus involved in this. And the role of the child is also presented in our passage, and their role is to obey their parents in the Lord, keeping Jesus in the center of their worship, and that is what is going to allow them to carry this out. And so we want to look at a thriving godly family will be a family of faith who is rooted in, in Christ, rooted in Christ. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this, therefore as you receive Christ, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. When we see this verse, we're talking about being rooted in Christ. When husband and wife are rooted in Christ, son and daughter will see the godly example being set And know the truth of God's word. I wanted you to hear me clearly this morning. We're not promising that your child is going to grow up and follow the Lord. Only God in them can make that happen. But what we can do as mom and dad, as husband and wife, is that we can set that example where there's absolutely no question about who we follow in our home and why we follow Christ in our home. And so we want to always be diligent that we are to set this example of what it means to be rooted in Christ. Husband and wife must be rooted in Christ both in justification and sanctification. What I mean by that is we, uh, as we are saved and we are saved once and for all, that in that we praise the Lord and we're faithful in that and then we also allow the Lord to grow us, mature us, so that those around us, so that our spouse, so that our children will understand that we are to grow in the Lord, be rooted deep in him. Ephesians three seventeen through 19 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the fullness of God. We want the Lord to continue to grow us through his name, through his person, and through his scripture. We want to know that there is knowledge that abounds in Christ, but it's not only the knowledge. We want to Practice this, live this out, apply it in such a way that our families experience the fullness of what God intends for a godly, thriving marriage. When we are a family of faith rooted in Christ, we are able to live out the love of Christ in ways that brings that fullness of God into our homes. We do not want to be a family of confusion. We don't want to be a family who who gets all made up and we come to the church house and we worship and everything seems fine, but when we get back into our home, it's a constant place of chaos and dysfunction. We don't desire that, do we? We desire the fullness of God, the fullness of goodness and righteousness and love that we'll talk about in just a few moments. We desire to have God working in our homes. How do we live this rooted out in Christ? Matthew 22:36 tells us you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So the roots of Christ must run deep with all of our heart, soul and mind. The heart must be changed. First we must experience that 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 radical salvation that God gives and grants. The heart must be changed, but then the soul must long for the savior. And the mind must be focused on the ways of Christ. A family of faith is not only rooted in Christ, but we are also rooted in His Word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. To God. Boy, let's focus real quick on that richly dwell. What is that really calling us to do as, as individuals, but also as parents and as spouses, and as families? Richly dwell means to dwell in one and influence him for good within the person's soul. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, Letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us should help us do everything in the name of Jesus. Have you ever been in that situation, whether it's in your home, your family, your workplace, the community, and you, you look back and go, man, I, I just didn't do that in the name of Jesus. I really did that in the flesh. Am I the only one? And we look back and go, man, I could have really handled that differently. Well, how do we handle situations that life bring up in our families? How do we handle that well, we richly dwell where it becomes the the supernatural act of God working within us where we handle things in the name of Jesus and not in our own name. If we aren't spending time in the Bible listening to what God has said, then we are missing out on the riches of walking according to our calling. Listen, it it is... It is one thing to have the knowledge. We need to desire knowledge. We need to pursue knowledge. We need to gain knowledge. But, but if we have all the knowledge, we're not living it out and practicing it and setting an example within our family, then we're not doing the fullness of what God's called us to because it tells us in James to do what? To, not, uh, to, be, to be doers of the word and not just what? Hearers who deceive themselves. It's important that we allow the words of Christ, that we're rooted in Christ, we're rooted in his word, and that it will richly dwell within us, bringing forth the promises that God has for us. I asked a family who has been married for 50 years to kind of uh, a husband and wife to help me answer some questions and I want to share this with you because it comes from just a perspective of wisdom and truth and it's from a family that I deeply respect. The first question we asked was at what point did you realize your faith was the foundation to a thriving marriage leading to a godly family? They said this, our faith was the foundation of our covenant relationship from the beginning." Our early dating included attending church together, either at the Naval Academy Chapel or Delmont Methodist Church near my wife's home. We believed the same things, biblical truth. We wanted the same things, lifelong friendship, children and grandchildren. And we were willing to work together to solve all the problems that life presents in the pursuit of our compromises to one another. Our marriage was tested in many ways in the first five years, including a nomadic first six months in three locations with lodging ranging, ranging from the house setting to a one-room cottage to eight weeks in a tent in my parents' backyard, due largely to fiscal constraints. My wife had a career change from the teacher to bookkeeper. There were many separations due to my job, including a seven-month cruise, and we lost my wife's father and one of my closest mentors to a heart attack. My first ship moved to a forward-deployed port in Japan, and we moved with it for one year where we lost our first child to a heart defect. Our faith was tested in so many ways that keeping our promises to one another was only possible through being equally yoked. My wife cared me through the end of that season as I embarked on rediscovering who God is in my job experience. I want to remind us this morning, a thriving godly family will be a family of faith who is rooted in Christ and rooted in His Word. But also a thriving godly family will be a family of forgiveness. A family of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, we're going to stick with the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4.32, we've studied this in our series. We understand that this helps us as a family whether it be an, uh, an immediate family, an extended family, a church family. We can apply it in many different ways. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This verse here sets a principle to be applied in all areas of our lives. For those who are married or for those who will be married, the most important relationship you will ever experience aside from your relationship with Jesus Christ is with your spouse and then with your children. So for families to experience godliness and to be able to thrive, they must be a family who practices forgiveness. You know what biblical forgiveness is? It's a it's a release, so it's a dismissal of an offense. For example, the forgiveness we receive in Christ involves the release of the sinner, the release of sinners from God's just penalty and the complete dismissal of all charges against us. Scripture tells us that we are to keep no record of wrongs and to forgive as many times as necessary. Sounds like an impossibility, but with Christ, all things are possible because he's changing us, he's forgiving us, he's maturing us, and he's growing us. We must also understand, though, that biblical forgiveness is intended to do what? To lead to reconciliation. The offended grants a forgiveness and the offender receives that forgiveness. So, Many times in my counseling that I get the privilege to do and help shepherd people through difficult times, whether it be in their marriage or in their parenting or uh, uh, whatever that case may look like, what I come to find out many times is the root cause of continued conflict is at some point from the lack of practicing forgiveness. As a matter of fact, many times forgiveness has failed to even be a possibility and seems foreign to those who are being counseled. It's all about me and my needs and how the other's not meeting that, Or, but there's never this idea that I could have done something wrong and that I either need to ask for forgiveness or, hey, I might need to grant forgiveness. It's important that as we practice in our family forgiveness, that we understand where that possibility can even come from. So a thriving family will practice forgiveness, will, will, will say I'm sorry, will ask for forgiveness, will be specific in that. But, but we also need to understand that we need to practice grace. Well, isn't that the same thing? Well, no. Practicing forgiveness, we must understand the part grace plays in that process. What does the very last phrase in Ephesians 4.32 say? Just as God in Christ, what, also has forgiven You Let that marinate for a second. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Man, we're having difficulty forgiving a spouse or a child or a parent. We must remind ourselves of the forgiveness God has granted us. God has shown us grace repeatedly. And we don't deserve it. And we still don't deserve it. But God's forgiveness has been given to us graciously so many times. He's justified us. He forgave us once and for all, and he continuously and graciously forgives us time and time again as we are being sanctified and maturing and growing in him. When we begin to show grace to our spouse, to our child, to our parent, it's amazing how we then begin to thrive as a family. Because we're practicing the grace through forgiveness that God has done for you and me. Folks, I don't think as believers we grasp the depth of this. So many times I've been quick, so quick to get angry, to not forgive. To point out all the faults of of everybody around me. My wife, my children, my parents who are here this morning. And you know what every one of those people have done in my life? They have showed me grace at times. Oh boy, that should be every one of us. Husband, wife, parent, child. Forgiveness that comes from the grace that God has shown us. I asked our family, what role, or asked our our family of wisdom, what role has forgiveness played in not only your marriage, but your family as a whole? This answer is so good. Faith, love, and forgiveness. The hope for the best in everyone holds relationships together and deepens them. Without forgiveness, relationships become transactional and devolve into manipulation and scorekeeping. Can I just encourage you very quickly beyond this answer? Please don't be a scorekeeping spouse, a scorekeeping parent. It, it, it hurts to the core because everything's devalued. And here's what they said. Without the capacity for forgiveness, you will never be able to give unconditional love to anyone. We tried as a couple and as parents to never go to bed mad or angry. We always attempted to work through conflicts to the point of understanding what needed to be forgiven and what attitude needed to change. Prayer is central to this process since only God can change a heart regardless of age. We also try to deal with problems once with one another and and then with the kids when they reach the age of reason. This sounds simple, but we know it isn't. The only way this happens in a God-honoring way is when you take time to get to the root cause and stop simply dealing with symptoms, which is quicker and easier to do. My wife and I were able to deal with big issues such as workaholic tendencies, financial management differences, coping with employment-induced separation as about one-third of their working lives were spent apart. They tell us forgiveness was essential in these areas. A thriving godly family will be a family of faith. It will be a family of forgiveness. And here's the great thing, it will lead to the family becoming a family of fruitfulness. Ephesians 5, 8, and 10, let's still stay within our study in our series. Families are able to apply a principle of Scripture which will help them grow in godliness and allow them to thrive for Jesus. Ephesians 5, 8, and 10 states, For you were once in darkness, but now you are in light, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And here we go. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I absolutely love this verse. Because it can be applied. And it can help myself, the Homesteads, become a thriving godly family. It can help you become a thriving godly family. Because what happens here at Fellowship, we spoke for many weeks about what it means to walk as children of light. And, And we see as we walk as children of light, there is a fruit that is produced which consists of all goodness, all righteousness, and all truth. So a thriving godly family is a family of fruitfulness who pursues goodness. This is an action step. We are to pursue goodness. Goodness refers here to moral excellence. Parents... Our children need to see that we are, we are uh, uh, pursuing a moral excellence, an excellence only found in Christ. Spouse, husband, wife, we need to pursue a moral excellence as an accountability and a challenge as we seek our God. First Thessalonians 5.15 says this, Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. This goodness is the goodness spoken of Galatians five twenty two as a fruit of the spirit, and I want to encourage you: the goodness can only be lived out. Uh, uh, this this goodness cannot be lived out apart from Christ. The fruit of life consists of the desire and the pursuit of goodness granted only by God. What does God do? As we sung about this this morning, it's wrapped in the scripture that we're pursuing. Is that God sent His Son? to die on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, to raise three days later so that through his blood, forgiveness, and redemption could take place and we could be made right with God. And so when we think about this, when you are saved, you respond to God's call in your life for that salvation, you repent, you submit to him as Lord, he indwells with you as the Holy Spirit within us, And he allows us to go from this baby new believer who has finally understood who God is and how God has drawn us to him and to now how we can become a true disciple and follower of Christ to the fullest. So let's not think this is something that we are doing. It's something the Holy Spirit is doing within us and we're responding to the maturity that he's calling us to gain. So we pursue Goodness, but we also pursue righteousness. Righteousness. This is a godly righteousness that, again, cannot be lived out nor practiced apart from Christ. That's why it's a fruit of light. Here's some verses just to let sit on your brain, to to process down to your heart and your application. I'm not going to break these down, but I want to share them with you. What does righteousness in this call look like? Romans 6.13 says, And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your body parts as instruments of righteousness for God. 1 Timothy 6:11. But flee from these things you man of God and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. And then 1 John 2:29. If you know that he is righteous you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. We are known by our fruits. Our spouse knows that. Our children know that. We are to pursue godliness and righteousness and goodness. And we are also to pr- pursue truth. What is this truth? This truth has to do with honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, and integrity. Listen, as we pursue truth as a godly, thriving family, we then are prepared to protect and to engage this world, who's trying to attack it and redefine it, and say, "Hold on, we're going to stick to the truth of God's word. We're not going to falter. We're not going to waver." But listen, we want to speak to you in truth and grace. And we want you to know that the Lord has defined as a family, we're going to pursue goodness and goodness and righteousness and truth. Little thing for you here goodness pertains to our relationship with others righteousness to our relationship with god and truth with our personal integrity mom dad child truth needs to reign supreme biblical truth and truth of integrity so that we can be a thriving godly family we're never questioning or wondering what's happening I asked our family, by practicing and living out your faith and forgiveness, what type of fruitfulness have you experienced in your marriage and family? Probably the most inspiring thing is to see our faith, love, and forgiveness spread across five generations thus far. We're hoping for a glimpse into the sixth. Caring more for one another's needs than individual wants creates the bonds that span generations. Our nuclear family has stayed together through 20-plus moves, living in three foreign countries. We've endured loss of three babies. We've endured too much month at the end of the money. We've learned how to make lemonade when all you have are lemons. Our church lives have been central to it all and provided fellowship and the help when we needed it. It's created a service mindset with our family to one another and the churches we have served in along the journey to Waco, which was our last move. We have great memories of the vacations, the adventures, and the accomplishments experienced together. If you rarely go to bed mad, you enjoy great relationships wherever you live. A thriving godly family is a family of faith and forgiveness, which leads to to not only fruitfulness, but also fulfillment. A thriving godly family is a family of fulfillment should have asked this question at the first of the sermon, but I intentionally did it now. We've heard a few things. Do we desire to be a thriving godly family? We've got to start with that question, right? When we answer yes to that question, then we apply Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, and it brings us to this, this promise of fulfillment by our God. And I want you to hear that's not a hokey promise. That's not something that's based on ourselves or what we can do, but what God does within us. We begin to see the fruit and the promises and the truth revealed of what a thriving, godly family looks like because God is doing that work within us. Fulfillment is the achievement of something desired, promised, or predicted. And as families who love God, do we not desire to achieve what God has promised In his word, he promises his children, you and I, he promises marriages and families that if we pursue him, we are able to experience what it's like to be a part of this thriving, godly family. So we took the entirety of Ephesians 5.22 and 6.3 to look at this last point and apply it to what a thriving, godly family looks like and how to understand a family of fulfillment is a family who is spiritually defined. A family who is spiritually defined. This speaks to our main text. Families who are spiritually defined and live out and practice these characteristics God provides in our God-given roles within the family, and here they are. What does it start with in Ephesians 5, 22 through 30? It talks about love. It talks about how Christ loves the church and gave his life for it. It talks about how the husband should love the wife and how it should look the same. That's how Christ loves the church. There's this love, this agape love that we are to pursue. We're to be spiritually defined by it and we're to practice it. But there's also respect in the husband and, and, and wife relationship in Ephesians 5:22 and on. It talks about this idea of love and respect. And you can't have one without the other. Love and respect. First, as we pursue and love and respect our God, he brings that same love and respect to us between husband and wife. But then he moves on, Paul does, and he he gets into the children. Children this morning that are in here, listen, there's obedience and there's honor. Why? As I've shared so many times in our house, why my children will ask with an insinuation of why should we obey? Because it's an act of worship to Jesus. Oh, there's going to be so many days, kids, you don't want to listen to me and obey me. I understand that. But Jesus desires for you to do it. And parents, we can't let that go. We have to call our kids to obedience in a loving, truthful, and graceful way. And not only do we call them to obedience, but then there's the honor. Love, respect, obedience, and honor. Honor. Children, here's the thing. In adults, we all have to practice honoring positions of authority and responsibility. Do we not? We have to. God calls us to. So as I share with my children, again, we honor because of the position. And even when mom and dad fall and we make mistakes and we fail and we sin, we want you to know we're making that right with the Lord and we will make that right with you and we ask that you honor in that place. And for us as grown-up kids... Maybe we need to visit the honor of how we honor our parents as they grow older. Not only are we spiritually defined, but we are also joyfully discerning. What do you mean here, Pastor? Well, when our family is fulfilled in and through Christ, we are defined by love, respect, obedience, and honor, and we are able to joyfully discern what a thriving, godly family we can be. Real quick, does a joyful, discern, joyfully discerning family look like this, Mom and Dad? <sighs> I guess we've got to go to church today. It's something we've got to do. You know, I really can't stand that person at my work or I can't stand that person at the church. And you know what? I'm probably not going to go today. You know, I don't like what that Bible teacher said today. I think he got that wrong. Although I know he really didn't. I just didn't want to hear it. And we walk around with this idea that Christianity is a, it's a bummed out thing. I don't know about you, but I, I, I was raised in church, but I've only been a Christian since I was 17. And I'll tell you, I want the joy-filled Christian life, not a Christian life that I think is a burden. And when we present that type of lifestyle in our home, we're not doing what God's called us to do. Here's what a joyfully discerning family will experience. We can be confident in the truths of Christ versus the non-truths of the world. We can stand confidently and boldly upon God's design for marriage and the family instead of being tempted to give in to the world's attempts to redefine God's design. And we can with joy, here we go, with joy, point our spouse and our children to the ways of the Lord without question or confusion and instead we present with clarity and promise. I know I'm not going to get it all right, guys and gals. I know that. I'm going to fail my wife. I'm going to fail my children. But it's not going to be for the lack of pursuing who God is and what he desires for our family. And I'm going to have moments of practicing forgiveness and moments of practicing humility, both asking and living it out. A thriving, godly family is a family of faith and forgiveness, which leads to the family of fruitfulness and fulfillment. So the last question I asked our wise family. When you look back over the last 50 years, what are a few pieces of advice you would give others to experience a thriving, godly marriage and family? And here's how they answered. I want you to listen closely. You can close your Bibles and you can pay full attention. They said, seek to build as many covenant relationships as possible. Start with your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your extended family, your church family, your work family, because seeing others as family makes this easier to do. Be a promise keeper. It builds trust stronger than any contract human hands can write. It goes on, they answer, be intentional, particularly with the important relationships in your life. Family traditions can be new or span many generations. They continued on with honest verbal Communication face-to-face is vital for mutual respect and the intimacy necessary to speak into someone's life that you love. Pursue things of eternal value where peace and joy are the reward and avoid as many distractions where personal gratification is glorified as you were able to do. Help your children and anyone else God puts in your path Discover their gifts and their passions. Encourage the development of what God has endowed. And these last two are some of my favorites. Use the owner's manual daily. It's got all the answers one needs for a well-lived life. And then I want to encourage you to do the last one. Enjoy the journey. This is not our home. We're all just passing through. Folks, do you desire to have a thriving, godly family? Maybe there's some steps, some course correction, some forgiveness, getting into the word. Maybe that's what needs to take place this morning. But it's in our encouragement to you to not only do this in your home, but that we as a body of fellowship encourage and stand strong on the truths of biblical marriage and biblical family. Would you pray with me this morning? God, you have been... Spoken of, I pray you've been glorified and you've been praised through song and the hearing of your wording. Now, God, we're to a time of response in our hearts. For the person who, for the first time, heard that there's hope and a salvation being delivered from the sinful sinner that we are. We pray that they hear that you love them, that you gave your life for them. And you desire for them to be in one of your children. And through a simple repentance and confession of the heart, submitting to you as Lord, that salvation can take place. For families today, God, we ask this. For the families that are hurt, that are broken, that are struggling, that are facing adversity, Lord, that you will intervene. Lord, they'll respond to that intervention. And then, God, they will glorify your name because of how you walk them through what they are dealing with. And then, God, for the family who is pursuing the goodness, the righteousness, and the truth. We pray that they'll remain strong, they'll remain consistent, and that they'll follow you with all their heart, soul, and mind. We love you, Jesus. Amen.